Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle podcast, a show that looks at how our passions impact lives and drive career choices. I'm Andy Gray, a former national and world champion kickboxer. During my shows, I'll be talking with athletes, coaches, fans and more as I delve into their world to find out what inspired them on their journey. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. Thanks for joining me. This week is a first, and it's our first rugby player. Her name is Kate Zachary. She represents the USA Eagles number 257 and is currently with the Exodus Chiefs. She's an all-around super talent, so let's find out the whole story. The Hobby of the Lifestyle, Kate. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andy. Looking forward to it. Me too as well. I'm so pleased that we were able to work this out. Kate, do you just want to tell the listeners what your hobby, what your passion is, and kind of what you're currently best known for? <laughs> uh, I'm currently um, an Exeter Chief uh, women's rugby player here in uh, Devon County. Um, came over here two years ago to continue playing rugby internationally, originally from the U.S. Um, and pursuing a World Cup uh, later this year with USA. Wow. Okay. And so you're from the U.S. You've came over to sunny England. Um, <laughs> let's talk about when you were a kid. So whereabouts in the U.S. did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up um, in Kansas, so it's right smack dab in the middle of the states. Um, a lot of farms, land, a lot of countryside. Grew up in um, a smaller town. We actually moved around a bit um, when I was younger because my father is uh, in the Marine Corps. So we okay. kind of traveled around to, to various stations and things like that. Um, by the time I was born, though, we were he was kind of on the tail end of that career. So lived a little bit in California, lived a little bit in Iowa, and then ended up in Kansas for a majority of my upbringing. Um, How many people say to you now, when you come over to England, you're not in Kansas anymore? That famous (laughs) line, how many people say that? Or is it just me? (laughs) Surprisingly, not too many. Also, because I feel like most of the time I lead with how I've been in California for like seven years before this. Right. Um, The last year was definitely a a weather shock for me. Um, There's a few months where I was like, I don't know that I can live here anymore. It's too cold and wet all the time. (laughs) Um, I love that. So as a child and growing up in Kansas and, and moving around a little bit, what kind of hobbies were you into? Yeah, so outside of, I have three older siblings, so outside of chasing them and, and following them around, whatever they were doing, um, picked up soccer or football, of course, over here um, okay. at a really young age. My, my brothers were playing. My dad stepped up to help coach, you know, at the, the youth level, like most parents do. And obviously with, with uh, four kids, you end up usually having to bring them all with you sometimes. Um, so my sister and I were, yeah. So my sister and I were always around, um, started kicking the ball around and got involved at a young age with, with football or soccer Um played that off and on. But, you know, as a kid, my parents were really big about like trying different sports though, and, and not trying to get stuck into anything. So they encouraged us to try different sports throughout the year um, played softball for one season when I was probably like seven or eight. I just found it so boring. Uh, <laughs> like I get that. I get oh, that. you just like stand around so much. The endings were long, and if kids drop the ball, this and that. So that I will say didn't last very long. Oh, kids, um, to be honest, me and you are on the same wavelength. I think the same when I kind of watch baseball game or a cricket. I genuinely don't understand cricket, which might sound really bad as an English person. My dad used to try to explain to me, and I said, just stop. I don't want to understand. Unless you're in bat or you're bowling, it's not fun. And it's the same for kind of baseball and softball. Unless you're actually trying to hit the ball or bowling, it's, yeah, you're waiting in a field for a ball that might never come. 
Yeah. Yeah. I played like catcher for a little bit, which is at least a little bit more exciting yeah. because you're involved in every pitch. But no, I'll, honestly, we were the pink ponies and just a lot of things didn't mesh for me. Um, <laughs> team. So, I love um, yeah. So just played a lot of soccer, though, year in and year out. Um, dabbled in other sports like track and field. Um, did everything from long jump to 100 meter sprint to an attempt at hurdles to a mile run to being on the various relays. Uh, and then once again, fell back into soccer and just loved it and ended up doing that pretty much every season. So whether it was right. summer soccer, high school soccer, um, indoor winter, you know, soccer, and then spring club and things like that. So lived and breathed it for many years. Okay, so you talked about playing so obviously it's not the game you play now. So playing soccer through school, is it something that you pursued at college level as well? Was it something that took you did you play high school and did you go for a scholarship? Yeah, yeah. So I again started when I was four, dabbled with other sports here and there, even basketball a little bit. But yeah, stuck with soccer all the way through graduation. So when I was 18, um, went to university on scholarship um, wow. and played for four years. Um, was a starter for three of those. A lot wow. of minutes in my first year. Yeah, yeah. Um, had a, had a really successful team and a really successful outing um, for okay. all four years of the team. Were, were you D one or D two? Uh, so technically, we're NCAA. So you've got, uh, or sorry, I'm sorry. There's NCAA. I was in NAI, which is um, it's a slightly different governing body. Right. Both schools, and um, they're a bit smaller. They're often religious affiliated or things like that. A little bit okay. different styles, which is why they're not NCAA. Yeah, yeah. Um, sports competitive wise, though, you've got some programs that are very competitive with like an NCAA two school. Yeah. More commonly, like an NCAA three. And again, that's okay. just a bit of like funding and location as well. Okay, so you still play like a good standard that we played. Yeah, like was I going to make the national team? No. Do I think I was half decent? Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, did we offer a scholarship? Obviously, yeah. suggests you were a good player because you, you tend not to get a scholarship unless you are good at something and they can see talent in you. Um, yeah, that or I'm just that charming. I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that one. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so. Was it something that you thought you wanted to pursue as a career soccer? Because, you know, I mean, I know it's kind of a bit of a free ride when you go into college and you get the funding of it's a full scholarship anyway. Was it something you say there, I was never going to play for the national team? Was, was it something that you thought I could probably play professionally here? And even if that's within the United States or it means coming to Europe? Yeah, I think um, when definitely when I was younger, um, particularly watching, you know, the women's team be so successful in some of the World Cups, particularly I remember watching the 1999 World Cup, you know, where you see um, Brittany Chastain ripping her shirt off, right? It was yeah, that yeah. picture that was all around the world. Um, you know, in moments like that, you you envision your last name being on the back of a jersey and, and having those aspirations, I think, as a kid and thinking, you know, could I do that? And um, I also, though, as I went through graduation of, of high school and graduation of university, I always had like a strong feeling to have, do I also join the military and kind of follow that family lineage, yeah. you know, my grandfather, my father, I've had an uncle, now my brother. It was one of those two where it's like, do I want to even pursue that route? Like just that, I don't know, that essence of wanting to represent your country somehow. Um, but then as like years went on from the soccer standpoint, I never thought I would again play at the international level. But when I graduated, you know, when I was like 21, 22, there was a women's league 
um, starting again. So there's been a yeah. few iterations before this most recent one that's been very successful and went to a tryout or two and, and performed well, but ended up not getting selected, but at least went, you know, it was a yeah, Kansas yeah, team and gave it a shot at least to know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at that point, to be honest, I also was kind of like, okay, I'll give myself a few months. If, if I don't have an internship and I'm not pursuing my career and what I got a degree in, then maybe I will consider still joining the military and going that route, you know, cause that's something I want to do both, but how do I do it? And, um, and yeah, so then got an internship and, and moved on to the real world and pursuing other did, yeah. adventures. So what, what was your degree in? Uh, so it was a liberal arts degree. So it's a bit broad. Um, it was mass communications, but I did have a minor in art. Um, so the intention was kind of graphic design and marketing. Okay. Wow. Can I kind of just go back a little bit? Because are you seeing you're kind of one of a number of siblings, you've got three older siblings. Yeah. <laughs> is that a mix of, of brothers and sisters or is it all brothers or all sisters? Yeah, it goes um boy. Yeah, it goes boy, boy, girl, girl. So I'm the youngest okay. and my oldest brother's nine years older. So wow. we've got a bit of a difference. It's, he's a nine years older. Next one's four years older than me. But then my sister and I are quite close. We're only a year and a half apart or like one school year apart. Okay. So I was saying, I, I, I do very little research before I, before I speak to anybody because I quite like to find out organically about a person's journey. But obviously I did have a little scan and... <laughs> So I kind of know how old you are. And for a lady playing soccer, I mean, obviously here in the UK, like I'm, I was born 84, so I remember kind of when females played soccer football when, when we were kids. There was always a kind of a stereotype attached to that, or there was always maybe a, a negative stereotype as well attached with girls don't play football, girls don't play soccer. How was that for you growing up? Because I've got three little girls and I would have absolutely zero issues if they wanted to play football. That'd be great. I'd love to support that. But I think that's a generation thing. I think we've kind of grew and evolved. Um, what was it like for you growing up and kind of pursuing soccer? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, as far as I can remember, it's always been a very supportive environment. Because, But I also think... Once again, you know, in the 90s, the U.S. women's soccer team was so successful at the time yeah, that course. it was kind of the women's sport that most people bought into. You know, basketball, the WNBA wasn't really highlighted. And to be honest, I don't know enough about it. I don't even know if it truly existed. I think to some extent it did. Right. But like women's soccer was, I think, just taking off. So through most of my primitive years like that. Um So it's so big. So it's so easy and accessible. However, it's very expensive. And I think that's where. Too, a little bit of stigma comes and the challenges is it is an expensive sport in the States now. And if you want to go to those elite levels, you also have to then go to the various elite camps throughout it and join certain teams. And so I think that that's the tougher part to navigate and living in Kansas, there was kind of less opportunities and less, I would say like those elite style teams. Yeah. Um, it's so much crazy so. that's an expensive sport in the, in the States. When oh yeah. It costs so it's like all you need $10 for, for a ball. Yeah, yeah, that's Just all you really need. Yeah. But man, the team fees are so expensive and league wow. fees and things like that. So um yeah, I mean it was it was quite difficult that my parents actually took it upon themselves to partner with another coach um in a town about I think it was like two hours away. We actually made our own kind of select side team. And you know, truth be told, it was kind of the people who couldn't either afford or were like just those freshly cut from some of the more elite um, yeah, yeah. you know. U16, U18 programs, we made our own team and we we're highly competitive because um, we had a lot of talent, but it was just people who also didn't have the resources to 
drive four hours away to be a part of this select team or that select team. Just, it's mind-blowing, isn't it? I mean, I'm from the northeast of England and I've got family who are from southern England. And whenever they used to come up, like, up to visit, obviously now it's just, it's the it's the norm. But when they come to visit, they just couldn't believe how many, every kind of spare bit of grass had a goalpost in it here in the northeast of England. It's kind of, I know that people talk about it, but it is kind of, it's lived and breathed up here in the northeast of England. So everywhere you go, there's a football pitch. Um, yeah. And like you see, you use that for free, but for the sake of £10 for a ball, it's, it's crazy that there's that many fees attached to it. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So, I mean, again, great sport, but I think that was just the biggest thing to overcome. Um, yeah, it was just right. the opportunities. That's really interesting. Very good. So you've done your degree. You've kind of you've went with the real world, as you've called it, and you're now doing your internship. I mean, at what point do you even begin? <laughs> Rugby's not even is it even it's not even a big sport in the US. Really, everyone, I think you know, even the fact that you call football soccer. <laughs> just shows how big American football is out there. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. how are we even introduced to rugby? Yeah, it's um it's a bizarre tale. So um, you know, my brothers both played American football, so you know, lots of pads hitting each other, yeah. all that stuff that you see on TV, right? Um, they both dabbled for a season or two after they graduated university at the end of their university career, just picking up rugby for more of it still contact we're big football players we can go and play rugby now and drink beer with all the, the guys after and <laughs> I never watched them play but I'd heard of rugby um and knew they played a little bit but never really got to watch a game I get to university we do have like a women's and men's club team again it's very sociable it's they play games went and watched truth be told knew no rules except ball goes backwards you could you could also win a game three tries to four, which never made sense to me because I never understood the scoring system because so if someone made kicks and didn't, and I'd be like, I'm so confused. I thought we had three tries, but they had four. And like, yeah, but we won. I, was like, I don't understand the sport, but um, had a lot of great friends, went to a lot of socials, things like that, um, but couldn't play because you know I'm on scholarship for soccer and whatnot. So my senior year, I went out for the team in the spring. Soccer's over, football's over. Um, but we had no games. We pretty much practiced a handful of times, drank a lot of beer, had a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Enjoyed, <laughs> enjoyed life before graduation. Um, move away, get my internship, start working, things like that. I moved back to my alma mater. So where I went to university and got my first like real person job, you know, salary benefits, the whole thing. Um, and so it's about two years after graduation. And honestly, I'm just missing competition. Like I think my whole life has been competition. It's yeah, competition yeah, yeah. at the dinner table. It's competition for TV time with siblings, you know, to sports and to school and to beyond. So um, joined the rugby team because it was the only thing in the area um, to play and just was playing club rugby for fun uh, for six, seven months. Again, having a good time on a Saturday, yeah, yeah. having a few beers Saturday night, back to work Monday. Um, at this point, I'd also started um took over a gym with two of my good friends. So I'm a co-owner of a gym. I'm working during the day, wow. playing rugby on the weekends, living, you know, the American dream, thinking yeah. about buying a house, having all this fun. Um, and then randomly meet the right people. Um, this gentleman, Bryn Chivers, finds me on a local rugby pitch, says, hey, you should play. Calls me a few days later and uh, gets me a camp invite to the USA Sevens team. And that's wow. kind of the start of it all. Wow. <laughs> Uh, how bizarre 
it's you know <laughs> it, some people say things are written in the stars I suppose that's obviously just a chance meeting that was obviously meant to be what was were we thinking wow is this a joke is someone trying to kind of prank me here am I really going to go try out with the US sevens yeah I, I mean 100% I think um it, it kind of started with an email initially and you know Bryn had emailed our team captain was like there's a few of you I want to join a camp it was like a U23 select side team. We used to do like regional select teams. Um, and that's how they kind of filtered into like the USA 15s national team a few years back. So I was like, oh, that's really nice of him. I'm 24. I'm too old for that team. Yeah. Thank you very much. And also I've got a life. I'm pursuing my dreams. Um, but yeah, and then it was it was one of those happen chances. You know, a few weeks later, he's like running onto the pitch at halftime of one of our games. Again, this club rugby tournament, trying to get some water, retie shoelace catch your breath and this man just like runs onto the pitch yelling your name you're like who is this guy <laughs> so honestly and that was our first actual person like person to person interaction yeah like I said and then it was just a few days later he called me with that and was like look like you you've got vacation time at work right you've got other people at the gym they can take your classes and I was like yes he's like sounds like you should probably just go and I was like yeah I guess you're right so yeah, two weeks after that, um, April of 2014, I was on a plane to San Diego um, for my first sevens camp ever. Wow. What was it like when you got to camp and you think, wow, you know, I might actually get to represent my country. It's something I dreamed of when I was younger, maybe for, for a different sport, but now all of a sudden this is a reality. Yeah, I think at that point it... I actually didn't even think anything. I'd kind of put those dreams to rest. I was like, I think I'd found what I yeah. thought was, was my new hobby, my new profession, my new, what I wanted to be doing. So I'd kind of put the like, represent my country to sleep a little bit. Yeah. Went to his camp, thought, you know, I'll learn everything I can for six days. I'll go back. Maybe we'll elevate our rugby team a little bit, be more competitive. But truth be told, I was kind of like, this is a good experience. Get a suntan. Um meet people who are destined to be in the Olympics in 2016 and just have a good time. But, um, cause I also got there and it was a bunch of university students where, so you, you had the players who were full-time already. There's a handful of those. Um, and then there was, I think there was like six or eight of us, um, who were brought in as campers. Um, but a majority of them, except for two of us were all in university and they're all crossovers who'd started playing, but they also ran track or came from basketball or things like that. And at the time, um, the U S coach was in a big crossover athlete stage. So identifying players who weren't traditional rugby players, but yeah. athletes who he could teach rugby. He didn't need to teach him to run, be athletic. Yeah. He just needed to teach you how to play rugby. Um, yeah. So it was kind of a big influx, but once again, I left that tournament, you know, with so much more knowledge or camp, excuse me, but with so much knowledge and it was exciting and I was looking forward to going home and, you know, I guess talking tactics and, yeah. and, thinking about playing more sevens in the summer, but that was it. Like that was where I just thought that would end. And what was it like when you got the phone call to say, weren't you on the team? <laughs> yeah. So it was um, about just under two months later. Um, to be honest, we had had a bunch of graduation parties the night before. So I was laying on the couch, kind of just enjoying a casual Sunday recovery when my phone rang with this number from California. And it's just very odd again, on like a Sunday afternoon, I'm like, who's calling me right now? I'm just trying to watch TV yeah. and drink this coffee. And um, yeah, it was the head coach and he, they were on their way back from Amsterdam sevens. And wow. um, he was like, Hey, like, how are you doing? We're flying back. Yada, yada. Um, I want to offer you uh, a contract to come out to sevens. Um, it'll be a six months con 
contract, like for this amount, uh, you know, you'll have to find housing and stuff, but it'll start in June and it'll run through December. And that was kind of interesting, you know, and super supportive. He's like, obviously you don't say yes or no now, but go talk to friends, loved ones, et cetera. But um, you know, we want to extend the offer and let me know. Um, So yeah, no, I, I hung up the phone and I immediately ran upstairs told my roommates, I was like, but really, can you guys like pinch me? Like, are we actually awake? Like, no joke. Couldn't believe it. It was like, pinch me. Tell me I'm true. Like, give me a slap in the face. Something like this has to be a dream. Um, And yeah, talked to my parents and they were like, look, it's six months. It's an opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, you can't really say no. And my work was very supportive at the time. They were like, look, you know, we'll go on a leave of absence. We'll, we'll have a student kind of like intern in your position. And then if it doesn't go well, right, your job will be here when you get back and, and so on. So packed up and moved out in June to California. Wow. What was that experience like in the last six months when you represent your country, you're paying sevens and you're traveling across the state, traveling travel across the world? <laughs> yeah, I drove across the country in my car with, I only went to with like a small rolly bag, like a tub of like some shoes and odds and ends. And, and that was about it. Cause again, I, I, even at that time still was like, I'm only going to last like six months. Like there's no yeah. way. Um, that would be a good experience. Um, slept at my brother's house. He at the time lived in San Diego still and slept on an air mattress in, um, shared a bedroom with my baby nephew at the time. So he also woke up crying a lot. So, <laughs> um, got to spend a lot of time with that family though, and, and be there, but really hard summer. Um, a lot of conditioning, a lot of, a lot of swimming, which I'm not great at, um, you know, different world that you've been used to because I imagine when you're in the collegiate oh, level the training is probably pretty professional um, yeah in fact I haven't spoken with other athletes on, on the podcast they've all said the kind of the facilities that you get almost access to with being a college or, or, or some on some terms world class um, and all the coaches and everything because it's funded but then representing your national team where you're now professional athlete you know you don't have to worry that's that's just your job I can imagine it's just on levels again. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, I went from, you know, teaching class at five in the morning and work and then maybe working out or going to work and then working out in the afternoon, you know, four times a week, but it was a completely different, you know, more functional fitness style lifting. Yeah. Rugby practice like once a week and games on Saturday. And then I had run, um, I just finished training for a half marathon as well. So like my, my like training was all over the place. So to go, and then train Monday through Friday. Um, usually it would be two field sessions, one gym session, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Wednesdays were more of like a recovery day, weekends off. Um, so completely different, completely hugely ramped up um, training session. But, you know, time built in, you had access to a med room with like foam rollers and bands and things to stretch, game readies, Normatex, all of that, you know, hot tub, cold tub. So definitely made use of those. Um <laughs> Cause that was a whole new experience, but, um, unfortunately I actually suffered an injury in September that year. Um, so I had a fracture to my hip. So that kept me out for, uh, going right about three months. I think, uh, late November, I started running again, which right. happened to also be when contracts negotiations came up, uh, okay. for everybody. And I thought for sure, you know, I only trained basically for like three months and then didn't train for almost three months. So, um, you know, thought I'd be let go, was disappointed because I didn't really get the opportunity, but kind of understood, would still be devastated because at that point you're like, well, I didn't even get a chance yeah, to really course, play. Um, but the coach kept me on. He, you know, 
halved my pay was just like, look, unfortunately, I can't offer you a full contract. However, like we want you to be here because you haven't gotten, you know, your fair, yes. fair shot. Um, so it kept me around, gave me another six month contract just wow. on half the price. And so I stuck around and wow. uh, got healthy and ended up earning my first cap in March of 2015. So just a few short months later, uh, got healthy and had my first cap in America with my brother and nephews in attendance as well. What was that experience like when playing with you know a huge crowd and, and getting your first cap? And then now you can say, regardless of if it was one cap or not, you can say I'm an international athlete and I've represented my country. Yeah, it was it was just mind blowing that that first jersey ceremony and and even the selections coming out, you know, kind of rewinding when those come out, you're just yeah, I don't know, just kind of speechless at the time. I, I you never really knew if it would happen. Yeah. Um just because you know, I was so fresh to the sport. There was we were surrounded by so many good athletes and um so, you know, again, remarkable moment, really exciting, get to Atlanta, get to playing sub on my first match ever against South Africa. Wow. Um end up scoring a try as well. So, first cap, yeah. first try on, on the same go. Um, but honestly, just more than anything, just so happy to have some family in the stands to celebrate yeah, with. Um, yeah, it was super cool and and just such a, a memorable moment, I guess. I mean, I can imagine after that, you just really want to kick on and, and really kind of just maximize the, the opportunity that you've gotten, play more games and try and extend the contract. And obviously the 2016 Olympics was around the corner as well. Yeah. So just talk us to that, Jamie. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, as I get, you know, obviously I get out to get out to San Diego, uh, you know, Olympics are now on for sevens again for the first time in decades. And um, once again, at the time I was like, well, I don't know if I'm ever going to make it, but my, my first goal was just make a tour, make a, get capped, like start small. And yeah, like, did I have aspirations to make the 2016 Olympics? To be honest, that first year, not really. I was like, there's no way I make it. However, like, can I get a cap? Can I get that Jersey to take home and frame and say like, Hey, I've got my one cap. I'm hanging on the wall. And, um, so my eyes were set very narrow initially, um, getting that first cap, then being selected, um, for the next tournament as well. So Atlanta and then London, uh, or sorry, Atlanta, Canada, and then London and Amsterdam. And, um, so to do four tournaments on the bounce, after, you know, barely even getting on the yeah, squad yeah, um, was amazing and finished out the season um, at Amsterdam sevens and could say then at that point, you know, not only was I capped Eagle, but I had four caps under my belt since it's tournament style. And yeah. I think when contract negotiations and came back up again, cause we, they were six months at the time when I was recontracted and my pay kind of returned to full, I think it was at that point that I had my first kind of like, could I actually make the Olympic team? You know, it's, it's next year. It's only, you know, it's a year and a half away at that point. Like that was the moment that I was like, could I actually make it? Um, But that summer we actually still had to qualify. So that summer we, we play in NACRA sevens um, where we end up then sealing our um, bid to the 2016 Olympics. So as a part of that team who won the tournament, who actually helped qualify the women's sevens team for their first ever Olympics, which was cool. It's history making. From someone yeah, who's never played a sport and just been playing it in university, and then all of a sudden to be part of the history making women's team from the US is it's a phenomenal journey. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's long different than where I started, you know, just even a year before when I owned a gym, I was actually yeah, in the yeah. process of like starting um, research into a house and having people go look at the house for me and make yeah, sure it was yeah. a good purchase and, and working a full-time job, you know, having benefits and security to yeah, yeah. taking a pay cut to train full-time and play women's professional sports for my country. That's um, phenomenal. So what happened with the 2016 Olympics yeah. So, um, again, that summer, I think finally was when I realized like I might actually have a true opportunity. Um, so re recontract, obviously we, we start training through the fall. We're right back into the, the seven series, um, go to Dubai that fall. Things are, are looking good. Um, and then one day we, we have training in the morning and we go to gym and we come out from gym and we're leaving. We're, we're about to head to the meeting room. And we see our head coach driving away. He's driving off. I'm like, That's weird. Like we have training pretty soon. And uh, next thing we know, he tells us he's actually been let go. Um, and they bring in a new coach uh, the next couple of days later. And so we have a new coach for a few months. It's a bit tumultuous. I'll admit like yeah, good coach, good. but we, it just, it, you struggle a massive coaching change like that. And it makes everybody struggle quite a yeah. bit. And uh yeah, so what's the reason just, behind that then when you just qualified, you know, just made history, you qualified for an Olympic yeah, Games? I, I, yeah, there's a bit of disagreements, a bit of politics and it's things way idea. above my pay grade, yeah. um, unfortunately, at the time. So, yeah, we had a new coach who came on, and I think it just it was a struggle when you there's so much pressure at this point. We're going into the spring, we're eight months out from the Olympics and we have a new coach we, who brings new players and new support staff and just a huge adjustment. And yeah. I think a lot of people struggled and clashed heads. And eventually our assistant coach that we originally started with who tried to stay on ends up leaving. Nice. And at that point, I think the powers to be kind of realized maybe this wasn't the right change. Let that coach go bring yeah. back our assistant coach as our head coach. Nice. And that's when um, Richie Walker takes over the team with five months left till the Olympics wow. And you've got big decisions to make at this point. We've had so many up and down changes and you can see that on the pitch now. There's just so much, you know, kind of dysfunction. Terrible preparation, isn't it, for an Olympic Games? Yeah, yeah. So May rolls around. We're only a few months out. I think I've still got a good shot. Do I still think I'm going to make the the 12 the 12 positions? Like, I don't think so, but do I think I might get that traveling reserve spot because you go with three? I thought maybe, maybe I really do have that chance at least. And um in May, leave practice one day, get a phone call from the coach, ask if I can come back for a meeting. I was like, yeah, sure. Sounds good. Um, and I'm fortunately then told that I have been let go from the program um, just a few short months away. So they needed to narrow down the program, I think, just to really focus on the last few players and try to whip the team into shape. Um, so a handful of us are let go at that time. And my Olympic dream comes to an end in May of wow. 2016. <sighs> How how does that affect you mentally? That is, uh, what a bit of pill to swallow when you've been part of history and you've been playing for the last four tournaments and then all of a sudden you've been told that you just kind of quit from the programme, that's a contract ripped up in a sport that you clearly you clearly enjoyed because you were doing it recreationally, not even professionally at the beginning. It was just that you could be with friends. So to, to kind of quit from a sport that you're really enjoying and having that dream taken away from you, you know, Mentally, that must be so hard to deal with. Yeah, it was definitely one of those. I was I was quite ashamed. I just went home that night and just like went straight to my room. I lived with um, a couple of my teammates who were also similar positions to me, and um, 
just, yeah, there's nothing you can really say in the moment, nothing you really want to say either. Um, a bit of disbelief, you know? And so, yeah, spent the night just in my room. Oh yeah, guys, I'm fine. I'm just going to catch some sleep. <laughs> Crying um, in your pillow. Yeah. I don't, I don't even think, um, my, I think I told my partner at the time, but I, that was it. I think that was the one and only person I told that evening. Right. Um, just cause you're kind of ashamed. Like you don't want to call your family. You don't want to call anyone. Cause you just, it's you so like, sad, it's sad to think that it's, it's sad to think that you felt ashamed by that decision when it's totally taken out of your hand. It's really, it's actually nothing to be ashamed of. It's more of a, it's just a bit of a pill to swallow when you've worked so hard and just because of politics and the hierarchy can't get things right. It's, you know, there's ways and means of doing things and whether or not you're going to get cut from the program or not there's ways and means of doing it and it just feels like they've just had a messed up massively and because of that it's had a really detrimental effect on the people that were who, really the core group of players who, who actually secured that position of being you know, because it's you know no one's really taken any ownership over that yeah I mean it's it's tough too I mean even being a coach you know in these latter years like you recognize sometimes it's tough and tough decisions do have to be made and sometimes it's also out of your hands and so it, it was tough and I think over the next couple of months you try to come to solace with it and it is exactly that I mean there were so many changes that were obviously out of my control with coaching and staffing and this and that um, within all of that like did I play my best rugby who knows you know you, you kind of go back and say like did you even do your part um you know did I get comfortable and too confident like never really know the final answer but I mean at the end of the day there wasn't anything I could do at that point you know told my my teammates in the morning and you go through it and you go through the pain for the next few weeks and and a little bit of the embarrassment but on the other hand like again it took months to get to this place but you do remember like I, I've come so far yeah, that was going to be my next question. So you're talking about having the the kind of heartache of being let go from the national team. And the, obviously you still playing to this day. What was the what was this kind of the journey from there? Because that would be very easy to just kind of quit playing the sport and just revert back to the job that you already had secured, going back to the gym and, and having all those benefits and securities. So tell us tell us what was the next steps. Yeah, I think at, at that point it was it was all over the place. So, you know, kind of life back home, I'd almost officially kind of cut ties with because I decided, you know, 2015 summer, I'm fully pursuing this Olympic dream. Um, and the gym ended up having to close down, you know, my old job ended up hiring someone else full time. And again, you know, back in late 2015, I'm like, sounds good to me, all these things. Like I'm focused on this new dream. And um, all the while this was happening, back from when that original contract um, decrease happened. So okay. late 2014, early 2015, I'd actually already picked up part-time work as well that are still working when I eventually got cut. So I was refing indoor soccer, just like for fun, pick up soccer league um, in the evening. So train during the day, I'm working from like five to midnight, you know, three, four times a week and stuff. So um, when I did get cut then that May, I still had that part-time work, just started working a few more hours at the time. And contemplating yeah exactly like what to do next I've been cut from the stream I had still at the time coming to terms with it um getting random free memberships at gyms just to like work out and you know that's a safe haven I think for a lot of athletes is like when it all falls apart maybe you just go find some gym and you work out and you do what you want for a little bit and um, just kind of rethink about what you want to do and um yeah so so just kind of working out doing my own thing 
contemplating what to do with life, refing a lot of soccer late at night, sleeping in during the mornings, um, not with a lot of money either. So I'm eating a lot of like cheap deli meat sandwiches and things. Um, and yeah, the big question is, yeah, do you go home, lick your wounds, their tail tucked between your legs and start over or what? Um, and then I get an invite to the women's 15s camp in, um, over the summer in Colorado. So getting an invite to my first ever 15s camp, yeah, yeah. well, might as well go, um, be a good experience. Once again, is, is that another avenue for me? I don't know. Let's find out. Um, so I attended that over the summer, uh, barely knew anyone because that whole new group was new to me yeah. when I knew from sevens. And it's almost a different to sport, isn't it? Really? You know, it's, yeah. Exactly. And, yeah. and I hadn't even broken into club rugby and that's where everyone knew each other was from yeah. either university or club rugby. So when I even got to camp, like everyone knows each other, like I know nobody. And these like 40, 50 players all know each other, have some yeah. connection, whether it's at university or playing club together or being previously capped 15s players and going yeah. on to it together. Like it was, it was definitely quite intimidating. Um, yeah, I can point. imagine. Do you almost go in there being one intimidated because you don't know anybody, but also do you go in there feeling like you maybe have an expectation about you as well because you represented your country already just at sevens? I think it was a mixture, definitely. I mean, I felt I'm still at this time dealing with a little bit of like that kind of ashamed, like getting cut just before the, the pinnacle event, the Olympics, not being good enough for that. So there's still that in my head where I'm like, well, these people know my dirty secret, which is I'm not good enough. Um, but on the other hand, you know, they were super welcoming after day one. Like people just invited me right away into tables and and um, teaching me things I didn't know, like how to jump in a line out because I hadn't done that at yeah. all whatsoever in my entire rugby career. Um, how to even tape, put lifters on your legs, yeah. like even those little things. Like I don't know how to do, but I was like, you're a forward. OK. Um, and so, yeah, it was super inviting. I think by the end of that, um, I think that's something that really helped me find kind of re reinvent the passion a little bit which is like you know do i actually have this 15s opportunity do i go back to san diego and and start playing club 15s for a little bit and just go back to playing a sport you pay for but sometimes that makes it meaningful yeah yeah of course. You, you know, sometimes that pay to play model you're like well but it's something i have to pay for which means i'm going to respect it fully yeah. show up to every practice i'm going to give it my all and i'm going to have a lot of fun um and I'm, we're going to drink beers after and it's going to be super exciting and um so i think after that moment returning back to san diego after that camp again you're still struggling a bit with the seven stuff but i i do think that softened it a little bit yeah, yeah, um, you know and so then watching seeing the team off going to the send-off dinner for the girls for the olympics was tough uh, had a few really tight hugs with people that kind of resurges some of that yeah, yeah. like missing out feeling and whatnot but still utterly proud of the team i mean if nothing else at the end of the day i could say that i was there for the last two years and if they go yeah, off and they win gold I at least can say like I was there and I helped in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so super proud to watch them go off and represent um, America in the Rio Olympics. And at that time was getting all situated, start playing club rugby in the fall. Um, And upon return from the Olympics, I actually received a call from the sevens coach inviting me back. So late August, early September, um, went ahead and started playing. I was back with sevens. I was on a part-time basis. And then I was playing club 15s in the evening. So I trained Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Tuesday and Thursday evenings from seven to 9 PM. I'd go to club rugby practice, play games on Saturdays. 
just living, just kind of just invested so much in, in rugby and immersing yourself in the sport from both disciplines. It's one of those questions. You know, when you went to the 15s, when you play in 15s now, and you because you talk about maintaining your fitness and you've obviously came off the pitch is so wide and you probably have to be super fit to play sevens because there's less players to fill the pitch. Did you feel like kind of almost like you had a bit of a step up against some of the people you were playing against because, or even with, because you were so used to covering so much ground in sevens compared to what fifteens do? I, I, yeah, I think a little bit um, for the what I lacked in knowledge of fifteens tactics and structure. Um, yeah, I think I made up for with the ability to be fairly quick and agile. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you hit me in a one-on-one contact in a close area, am I probably going to lose that battle? Yeah, I definitely yeah. probably was. Um, but if I could get around an edge, you know, the link playing stuff yeah, like that, yeah. that sevens mentality de- definitely comes back. So I think that did help a bit. Um, Do you think that it's contact. easier for a sevens players to go to 15 or a 15s player to go to sevens? It's a great question, to be honest. I think. <laughs> It depends. I get me. And if you've been playing 15s for a long time, going to a sevens tournament, it's just the fitness. And that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it must be easier for a sevens to go to 15s just because of that fitness level. I know yeah. tactics will change slightly and, and you know the dynamic gets very different, but I'm just thinking from a fitness level, it probably helps when it comes yeah. to the tactics and just you know, you probably can be a lot aware for longer because you can get tired as quick. Yeah, I think, you know, you definitely see space differently when you go 7 to 15. So if you can understand how to make something of the smaller space, mm-hmm. you know, that 7s mentality, you you have that ability to think a little bit like two to three phases ahead. Now, you do miss out often on the opportunities of just burning someone around a corner and having yeah. 40 minutes to run. But, um, yeah, I would say there's there's probably a mixture of 7 to 15. There's perks because, man, if you're you're playing 15s, full send and then try to play sevens on the summer. I feel like everyone's first complaint is the fitness. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I can totally imagine. Totally imagine. So you're playing sevens again for, was that a hard decision to make to go back to playing for USA for sevens? Because you've already now seen that you trained with the, the USA team 15, with the 15s. Um, yes and no. I think um, at the time, a, a number of players, you know, were either retiring or taking a sabbatical um, so I anticipated that, you know, there, there'd be more opportunities for me to play right off the bat, as long as, you know, still had to show up and yeah. put out my best game. But I also felt like people who were, you know, number one, two, and three above me in a depth chart in a sense, you know, were, were leaving, taking sabbaticals, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So in theory, right then and there, you do quick math, like, well, the odds of me getting to play, depending on who else they bring in yeah, are pretty high. Yeah. Um, and once again, still feeling like I didn't, get like the complete chance to to show off what I could do. So um, no, it, 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 to be honest, wasn't. Now, did I expect there'd be a little bit of turmoil and, and things knowing that being in that full-time environment is, it can be really mentally and physically exhausting some days. Um, and if anything, I think that was the biggest kind of hold up to some extent. It's just like, do I want to go back and some weeks want to just drive home and cry? And it's, and it's not because anyone said or did anything. It's just, it's hard sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think credit to you because I know just the type of person I am. I, I probably would just be petulant about it and think, well, you didn't want me then. How can you want me back now? Is it, you know, because, and I understand that they need to bring in the best players who they know is going to benefit the squad, especially when people are retiring. But I'm almost thinking, 
yeah, I would. I think that'd be the petulant little schoolboy who just says, "Not a chance. I'm not coming to play for you. Didn't want me then. You could have had me, and you said no." Um, <laughs> and more, more so because it sounds like the situation we were put in had it was kind of nothing to do with ability. It was more the fact that uh, the people at the top just couldn't agree with each other, and that just brought in changes and had a massive effect on the team as a whole. So yeah, I think I, I think I would have went the other way. So fair play. For, to you for saying, yeah, I'll definitely, and I understand why you'd go back as well to professional contract. Yeah. You don't represent the country. Was anybody on the 15 squad kind of was it? What was anyone on that squad almost a little bit disappointed that you, you kind of went now with the 15s and you went back to the sevens? Um, I don't think so. And I think you know, luckily, I was so stubborn and, and hard headed thanks to all my siblings and upbringing, so which made. I get, think again, part of the reason I want to go back of, to prove myself and prove everyone wrong, yeah. you know, as a starter. But I think too, because I was still quite new in 15s, I, I truth be told, I don't think anyone would have been disappointed whatsoever. Yeah. But um, I think balancing the professional one with the club for fun in the evenings um, was a big difference maker, I think, for me, though, that allowed me to connect with people also outside of this very tense professional yeah, sevens team with with whatever dynamics going on, you know, from top down within the team, et cetera. You know, now, I'm not saying it, it was this really imperfect scenario, but, you know, to your point, like there's some things that are just out of your control completely. And then there's yeah. the things that are in your control. And, you know, we we had a new team. The culture had always been, you know, in a really good place and got along with those players. But it was just nice to take a step away in the evenings and go be alongside people who work jobs eight to five. We're playing, we're paying a couple hundred dollars to play this club game that they drive and they show up to seven yeah. to nine in the middle of their evening twice a week and travel on the weekends to play games. And it was just nice to be around everyday people in a sense who just had so much passion yeah, and so much passion that they were willing to pay for it, right? Like and I think that was a huge difference maker for me going back in 2016. And those people were really supportive of me being back in sevens as well. They're like, this is great. Like we get to say we train with an Eagle. And, and I think too, like we weren't, we lived in the same city, but there was still this disconnect between this national team and, and the local club. Nice. And so I think that helped marry those two together too. Cause it was myself and a couple other players went and we're doing both. So I think it also just made everyone it humanized both programs in a sense, I guess, if you will. So representing USA, when did the opportunity come then for you to switch to 15s and play professionally here in the UK? Yeah, so um, that later that fall was actually a really successful fall for me um, and for my rugby career. So um, the club team I was playing for, we went off to club nationals where we played the nine other teams across the country. Wow. We end up winning and taking um, first place. We win the national championship. Wow. Um, at the time, the 15s team was preparing for a, an event in France, what would have been the week after this event. Um, and I wasn't initially selected. Um, and then selections were going to be coming down the pipeline for the first seven series stop in Dubai, but that hadn't come out yet. So, you know, I have both things going on, balancing it. I go off to Georgia and I play in club nationals. I come home, I have Monday off just since I just played all weekend. Um, and my head coach calls me and says, hey, my sevens coach says, um, look, I wanted to let you know that the 15s program wants you to come to France with them. They had an injury. Um, they want to call you up to the squad. So you would leave. I think it was just like later that week. Um, you'll join the 15s team. You'll go to France. And be with that, I'm going to pre-tell you now that I plan on selecting you for Dubai. Those selections weren't coming out till later the week. Wow. But he, he, just to make an informed decision, he's like, so you'll go to France for 
I think it was like seven or 10 days. He's like, and then you'll fly with two other, three other players to Dubai and we'll wow. jump right into seven. So I went from club nationals and not being selected for 15s initially to not knowing if I was selected to sevens to winning a national championship to going to France to earn my first 15s cap and wow. then also kick off the 2016 2017 seven series in Dubai with the team as well. That's unbelievable. Um, yeah what a journey after everything else and after all this kind of hard work it was it was a pretty amazing feeling to get off the phone that day because i was like yes to both definitely 100 and what what an opportunity to represent you couldn't have both disciplines as well yeah yeah and only a week apart essentially so it's amazing um yeah so that was an absolutely amazing opportunity jetted off to france to join the 15s team um once again, I think I was a bit unexpected because, you know, I hadn't been selected. I was the new kid on the block. I was still met very warm and openly by the team, but yeah, again, yeah. I wasn't originally um, selected. And I think it'd been picked over. You can't help, but you expect maybe other friends to get picked up. And yeah, now you're like, this. there was a little bit of like, oh, did these players get picked up because they're sevens? And, we're, yeah. you know, what you, you do sometimes struggle with that animosity, I think, between the two programs. Yeah. Um but overall, I mean, an absolutely stunning experience in France. Got my first cap um, at seven, started the first game, got run over within like three minutes and was like, okay, welcome to 15s. <laughs> Girls are really big. Yeah, I need yeah. to make sure I tackle low. Um, so super cool. We we lost both games, but had an absolute blast. Learned so much and then um, flew a very, very long flight to Dubai um, yeah, to represent yeah sevens there and a bit stiff and sore admittedly um after yeah, playing yeah. Two, two 80 minute matches i'd split my head as well so i was wearing a scrum cap for the first time and um, just a total new experience <laughs> completely new completely new experience did you fall in love with it though because obviously it's what you play now and you think was it one of those ones where you think yeah we really enjoy this this is you know i'm not asking if you had a preference between seven or 15s but did you just think wow this is a totally different ball game now and i, I love this uh, yeah, I think um, after the the club experience and then also now the international experience, I mean, definitely loved both at the time. So it's just like having this very um, joint relationship between the two was was awesome. You know, at times it can be hard to swap back and forth, but on the other yeah. hand, like you just get to meet so many different people and learn so much from from individuals about rugby and about their lives and and just be around really good people overall. Um, so loved it though it, and it's just two very different it's like am i feeling like getting hit a lot today yeah, yeah or do i feel like running a lot and i feel like that's really what it comes down to sometimes <gasps> you're like i don't know do i not want to run a lot and i just want to tackle people or do i want to run a lot and yeah. not get tackled <laughs> I can imagine. yeah well yeah definitely so i mean it's 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 an incredible journey where, where was it then when someone in the uk or was it something you wanted to do to come to the uk to play or was it you know did you try and broker that or was it someone who said wow cake we, we want to hit play for us yeah after the like next couple of years of balancing 15s and sevens and i had the opportunity to go to set 15s world cup in 2017 and 7s world cup in 2018 and um but in 2018 decided to step away from sevens um and just focus on 15s and mm-hmm. take a break from from that environment like i said it, it does become mentally tough and exhausting at times so um, and then had a couple, had a very successful year. We were under a new coach in 2018 to 15s, uh, Rob Kane, who previously coached for Saracens Women's um, here in the Allianz Premier 15. So wow. um, he took over the program, had a really successful two years under him. 
you know, COVID hits, everything yeah. goes on halt, of course. And so yeah. no rugby going on anywhere, stuck inside, running in our alleyway, working out in our somewhat put together home gym, you know, lifting with blocks, yeah. tight bands and and the whole thing, right? Um, which was, to be honest, also a great kind of reset period, though, just I think, again, as a human away from rugby, you know, my partner yeah, and I yeah. could spend quality time together. We hadn't in like four years, I feel like. And yeah. uh, it's one of those things, isn't it? There was so many negatives come from the pandemic and there's still are a lot of negatives, but there was also a lot of positives as well. Like if so I think we reflect and spend time with close ones. And, yeah. 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 No, definitely. I think it was just, it was almost, obviously it was a, a terrible time. I think for us though, it allowed us just to even like reconnect on, our own personal yeah, yeah, of course. level and things like that, which is great. But um, so yeah, stemming from that, um, the spring of 2020 summer-ish time period, England basically is like, we're going to try to make the women's league happen. They'd had the men's, they were able to finish off the men's previous season over the summer. Um, and in the fall, they were putting together the parameters to make a women's team happen. You know, no fans, you'd have to have X amount of teams testing. They, they were putting it all together and Exeter Chiefs were, putting together a women's team for the first time ever. They just joined the league. Um, so 2020, 2021 was going to be their first season. They were recruiting heavily. Um, Rob, again, because of his ties, is you know checking in with teams. Do people need someone? Because he's got you know a bunch of American U.S. players who have absolutely no rugby under their belts. Looking ahead, 2021 World Cup is on the horizon, and nobody's playing rugby. So for him, even, it was how do I get players across? overseas where I know they can play rugby while the U S at this time, we had no idea when rugby would play again. So um, yeah, he made the connections um, started speaking with Susie Appleby that summer and um, put together a contract and move out wow. later that fall um, in the midst of a pandemic and uh, everything. Wow. Going. It's unbelievable. Wasn't it really? What a journey just to, I mean, you've already been on quite an incredible journey and all this just it's crazy to think that you kind of played something I didn't pick up the rugby ball until you almost met the finished finished your degree and then you've represented the country at sevens, you've represented them around the world, you've then done fifteens and then you've got a coach who obviously really values you, massively believes in you, and then has been willing to kind of he obviously wants you he's obviously doing that because he wants you in the World Cup squad and you think well, he's he's broken a deal to help you get over to the UK to play and it's incredible. Huh? Are you enjoying the UK? Have you been enjoying the, in the rugby? I mean, obviously, it's kind of your great history of Exeter at the moment. Like, is it something yeah. you're enjoying? Yeah, it's been, honestly, it's been amazing. You know, last year was was hard, I, I think, at times, just because you're away from family and we couldn't go home for Christmas. We couldn't go home for any holidays. You know, um, it was tough to even get, you know, family over here. So my yeah. partner couldn't even come over till. I think it was February for the first time since I had left. So now we've gone from being together for yeah, yeah. 10 months with nobody else to now being apart for yeah, eight yeah. months again and things. So there's moments that were tough, but on the other hand, I think it was, you know, Chiefs had just started their women's team and so many people relocated, whether yeah, it was yeah. internationals or domestic players. And so I think that helped create a little bit of a family essence amongst the team, just because yeah. we all had one thing in common, which was, we all left family to come to this brand new team, yeah, which we, we, didn't, we had no idea about. They didn't have a foundation. They were yeah. new to the league. Nobody knew how we would do. And surprised a lot of people last season, finishing sixth in the league. And um, yeah, yeah, it's massive. 
retained pretty much most of the team and came back this year. And and here we are um, on the back end of winning a cup final, for the first time ever for the league. And now heading into a semifinal, once again, making history for, for the team. Um, it must, it must feel amazing to be part of that. And obviously, I know in the UK that women's rugby is it's so it's it's really well publicized now. And you see the women, the women players right and so getting a lot of attention and, and getting them the kind of accolades that they deserve. But it really is only now that that's started to to really come to the forefront and just you know, I suppose all women in the league at the moment must feel really proud that they kind of trendsetters they're paving the way for, for young girls and ladies across across the world not just in the UK to go you know rugby's a really cool thing I, I want to play that yeah I think so I mean this year having the fans and stands and, and the ability to go do like some community events around yeah. the area and, and things like that I think has been been huge you know throughout England I know you know, rugby is big, but so are many other sports that you're battling with, especially on the women's side of things. I know it's not in all schools either right now. So there's a big push for that kind of equality at the, I think it's a secondary school level to get more women's rugby going on. Um, but you're, you're seeing it. I mean, week in and week out, um, you've got teams setting records, you know, just the other week, Bristol set a record of like 4,000 fans in the stands. You know, we, we've been setting our own personal records here from, just even getting over a thousand to 2000 to 2,300 to just last weekend, 2,600 people in the stands and it's families, but a ton of not only girls too, but like younger boys teams who are also like enthralled by what we're doing and the rugby we're playing and, and things like that. So it's great to see that like, you're not even just reaching, you know, the girls who are gen- who want to play, but even the boys and everybody. And it's just this equal playing field now that everyone's impressed with um, the league and the quality we're putting out. Yeah, no, it is. It's absolutely fantastic. My eight-year-old just—they've just finished a, a trial period of doing rugby within their PE classes at school. So she didn't like all the room. Love it. She she just didn't like all the room. <laughs> she's a, she's a proper dancer, and she just went, "Oh, I've been doing rugby, Dad, but um, I don't like all the room." <laughs> I said, "Well, did you have fun?" She said, "Well, it was all right. We would get past the ball." She says, "But I didn't like running after people." I was like, "All right, gorgeous." Rugby's not for you, but uh, my other two daughters, one of them I can imagine playing rugby. She 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 would have loved to run after people and tackle people. That'll be right yeah. up the street, that one. That's no, that's fantastic. I mean, is is your plans now then to very much stay in the UK and continue with, with the Chiefs and, and see what more history you can create? Yeah, I think um so obviously on the balance of, of finishing this season, ideally with a trophy come June. Yeah. Um, we've got the delayed World Cup. So it was supposed to be in 2021. It was pushed back to this fall. So it's now World Cup 2021 yeah. in 2022. But um, okay. so we're on a big push and you know, we'll go home, um, reconnect as a U.S. squad and, and build towards that. So but on the bounce from that, yeah, ideally back in the U.K., my um, my partner since moved over. So our life is fantastic. now in the U.K. as well, which is which is fantastic because, you know, so it's great. It's promising. And and I do really love the rugby here and the people we've made. And I think it's helping, you know, inadvertently, I do think it's helping raise awareness of the sport back in the U S and, and now with the the most recent news of the U uh, S hosting the men's 2031 world cup, the yeah, women's three yeah. world cup. Um, you know, we've got a lot that we still have to do, which is why I think you'll see a lot come back next year. We build for the 2025 world cup, but in the meantime, we'll continue to, to send resources back and ideally eventually we'll go back and help build a competitive league in the u.s you know in advance of that world cup so definitely want to come back definitely want to keep being involved with the community 
um, in and around here and growing the game in England. But like I said, simultaneously, I think it will help shed light on U.S. rugby as well. And is that kind of the legacy you'd like to leave that you you, you played at elite level, came over to the U.K., obviously the home of rugby, learned from the home of rugby, which is, you know, regardless of what sport we do, it, it's a phenomenon like you, you've been able to come to the home of it. Not saying we're the best, but the home of it, certainly. But then being able to take that back to the U.S. and then... Would you like that to be your legacy where you really help kind of make inroads for US ladies rugby? Yeah, definitely. I think um by coming over here, I think we've proven to a lot of people that USA rugby players, you know, we're not just athletic, but we know rugby yeah. these days. And and by you know, a handful of us being here last year and being successful on successful teams, but also successful individually. I mean, yeah. Gabby Cantorna was kicking so well last season, making a mark for herself in the game. And similarly, again, this season, you know, she's she's kicking almost at 100 um, percent. You know, so she's up there right with some of the best English yeah, kickers. Janine Detvo scored killer tries all season and is up there on highlight reels, I think, like every weekend. So I think what you're seeing now is is all these players in and around the English league at Sale, at Loughborough, at we've got some players at Saracens and now at Quinn's, like people want US players. And we're also proving that right alongside or right almost head to head against people in our position that we, you know, we've lost, we lost England in the fall. However, now you're starting to see head to head individuals are becoming more and more competitive with their counterparts on the English team. And so I do think people at home are recognizing that like, you know what, we're forced to be reckoned with just looking at the individuals. So now imagine how dangerous we'll be when we all come together this summer. It's scary to think with such a big curtain with an access to a massive talent pool if they just get the right infrastructure in place and, you know, people like yourself paving the way for more young ladies and raising awareness of it. Yeah, you can see why you could be the best in the world, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, given the right opportunities, you know, we're going to have a really successful program. And I think it just this helps, I think, really facilitate and prove that to everyone back home. And it it gives us also reason and hopefully incentive to develop a league even further. We have the WPL, we have the Women's Premier League that I came up in. And um, I hope to help, you know, maybe we help develop that even more. And and it becomes a draw for people who want to come to America and now play in our league and make it competitive. Yeah, 100%. I mean, sort of last question what would your one piece of advice be to and like say not even a young lady just even a, a young person who wants to follow in your footsteps or just what would your advice be um i think ultimately no matter what you know if an opportunity arises that it, you think it's something you might be interested in i mean pursue it because you never know what may come of it and that's anything whether it's sport or career um you know if, if a door opens why not walk through it because at the end of the day you, you take a step backwards and you start over again and you keep going okay well, thank you so much for your time this afternoon i've absolutely loved learning about your journey so thanks for having the lifestyle yeah thank you for having me Thank you for listening to another episode of Hobby of a Lifestyle. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.